0: If you have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that your word is true. And your word teaches us to walk in the truth. As your Son, Jesus Christ, walked in the truth, and Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth, the life, and there's no way to the Father but through Him, we're thankful that believing in Him, that we have eternal life. So we come with open hearts, open minds, and teachable spirits. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we looked at last week, that difficult text, when we talked about that S-word, submission, and we came to that conclusion, how important submission is. Let me share something with you, and before we move into our text. If the wife is to submit properly to her husband, and if the husband is to love his wife as Christ did the church, and if a young man is to submit to his parents, and if his parents are to keep from discouraging their children, and if men are to serve as human masters, rendering service unto the Lord, and if masters are to care for the well-being of their employees, as those accountable to God, the next thing we are to do is pray. See, God's word has instructed us the importance of submission, just not wives and just not husbands, but in all of our relationships. The child of God who is following in the will of God will always submit to one another in love. But as we come to our text today, it begins with prayer. Let me show you. Chapter 4, verse 2, it begins, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it, with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God would open up to us a door, a door for his word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for in which I have been imprisoned that I may make clear the way that I ought to speak and conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders and making the most of the opportunity. Now let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Paul begins in verse two, devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in that attitude of thanksgiving he's instructed the the importance of devotion being devoted and that importance of prayer it is not surprising that Paul begins with prayer the Greek word devote means to be courageously persistent and to hold fast and let not and and refers to that persistent prayer Paul desires that we would cultivate a life of persistent prayer and it's consistent with the word of God time and time again. The words spoken in prayer are some of the most important words that you and I will ever speak because they're spoken to God. See, prayer is the, the strength of the believer's fellowship with the Lord. It's the source of a power against Satan and his angels. I love that passage in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Let me show you. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. See, the importance that, that God understands. He desires to, to hear from us. He wants us to hang on and be persistent in prayer. But sometimes there's things that can hinder our prayer. In fact, Psalm 66, 18 makes light of one of those situations. Let me show you. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. See, if I'm, if I'm harboring sin, if I'm in this unforgiveness mode where I re- refuse to forgive others as Christ has forgiven me, God will not hear our prayer. John fourteen thirteen says this, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. See, sometimes we get caught up on the fact in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. We should never be ashamed to use the name of Jesus. But I think the important thing to understand is that when we pray, we pray according to his name. We pray according to his will. We're praying for those things that will glorify God, whether it be in our own lives or the lives of others. That's again, he says, whatever you ask in my name. And that nature, that character that's important. And he says, "That I will do." And his goal is that the father would be glorified in the Son. So we're to devote ourselves in prayer, and that's important to understand. It, it, it means to be steadfast, immovable, to endure. With that added preposition, it intensifies that meeting. Well, the verb means to be courageously persistent in that prayer, to hold fast and not let go. In fact, let me read from Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with 120 disciples who gathered together in that upper room and they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. How important that 120 were together. There were one heart, one in mind, and they were focused upon God and God's will. It's those kind of prayers that move mountains. It's those kind of prayers that change lives. And we see people come into the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 6 verse 4 says this, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word see the disciples were waiting upon the table but see that wasn't their calling their calling was to study the word and to pray and they were to have the people pick from among them people men of of the spirit men of good character Men who had a heart for God. Men full of wisdom. Pray and pick these men among you. They were to recognize what God was already doing. See, Paul was calling believers to persistent prayer and to pray at all times. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we'll see in a few weeks that we're to pray without ceasing. In Romans 12.12, be devoted to prayer. See, when I look at these things, I I have to ask that question. How devoted am I in prayer? Well, let me take it a step further. How devoted am I to God? How often do I want to sit before him and pour out my heart before him as my most intimate friend, my most intimate relationship. Certainly he is God, and and, and I'm a mere man, but I am a child of God, and he wants to hear. Just as a child will talk to a father, and a father will listen, God wants to hear from you and me. It's in Luke 18. Our Lord had two parables illustrating that importance of persistent prayer, and it's in Luke 18.1. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Jump down to verse 9 with me and I'll show you more. And he also told the parable to some people who trusted in themselves and that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying This to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, even like the tax collector. And in verse 12, he goes on, and I fast twice a week, and I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, when you and I go to prayer, when we go to sit before the Lord, we are praying, we are humbling ourselves before God. We're saying, God, I need you. God, I need you. You are my Lord. I need you to direct my steps. I need wisdom in this situation. Lord, I'm concerned about your name and your glory. See, if I don't go to God, I, I'm really exalting myself. Whether I tell the world or not, my actions show that. Again in Luke, Luke eleven five. 5, let me show you. It says, Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me in a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me, the door has already been shut, my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. But I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you, and seek, and you will find, and knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. And see, the Lord was teaching that persistence in prayer. I think you probably understand that. If you've had children that are sick and maybe in an accident and something's happened and, and we almost rip our clothes, we cry out, God, I'll, I'll do anything if, if you just touch my child. You know when you're up against the wall, there's no place else to turn. But we shouldn't wait until we come to that point. See, the point is we need him every hour of the day. We need to begin with him. We need to walk with him. We need to end with him. Think about Moses again for a second, who again and again intervened between the Israelites and and God's wrath, or the widow who was demanding justice of the unjust judge. See, true prayer often involves struggling with God, proving to him that deepest concern of one's heart. You know that when your kids have come to you when they're young, oh, daddy, daddy, daddy. And you know you know when they're sincere and you know when they're just kind of maybe upset about something. Our Father wants to know. He wants to know our deepest concern. He wants us to pour our hearts out. He loves us with this everlasting love and he wants to hear from you and me. That struggle is not fighting with them. But it's hanging on to him. It's that persistence that Paul's talking about in prayer Though we hang on. God, I need, I can't get this without you. I can't do this without you. I need your strength, and I need your power. And today, I need the power of the Spirit, and I need to be persistent in prayer, and I, I can bring you the Word. But with a, a sermon or a message or a teaching without the Spirit is worthless. I need God because it's only God could open up your hearts. It's only God can convict you and move you where you need to be. And when we read the word, we say, God, I need you to open my heart. I need you to give me that teachable spirit. It's important to be persistent and courageous in that struggle. Well, true prayer involves keeping alert, being attentive and It is used for a moral and spiritual alertness of a a Christian, Christian emanation. See, Paul knew the importance of prayer, the needs to be dedicated in times of prayer. Hearing from Peter, perhaps, that when Jesus prayed in the garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus would go away and he would pray and he wanted the disciples to... To be there, be alert, be attentive, and pray. And and yet they fell asleep. And how that must have wearied upon their hearts And sharing with Paul. Well, let me read Matthew 26, verses 40 and 41. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Isn't that true for you and me? The, the flesh is weak. You know, there was a time in my life I would go and I would lay in bed and I think, I'm just going to lay here and I'm going to just talk to God. I'm going to pray. And I find myself falling asleep. What I need to do is, as you need to do, is, is to find a time and we dedicate it, we devote it to prayer that we meet with Him each day. So important. I heard the illustration of a man, and a true illustration. The the man was having breakfast with a a family and staying there, and, and all of a sudden he finished his breakfast and held up his finger with excitement. I have appointment. I have appointment with the one that created the universe. And that's what we have when we pray, the one who spoke all things into existence, the one that holds all things together in the palm of his hands. The one who came and died for every person in this world, and whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. the one that's coming again soon. How important we need to be watchful, we need to be praying, we need to be alert and attentive, watchful, you know that word means alert or aware. Or where against what? Well, not just, you know, physical uh, tiredness, but there's a spiritual drowsiness. It's caused by the, the tension, the focusing on the world and the world's ways. Sometimes just focusing on our health or our finances. And there's one thing that really matters in this life more than anything else, and it's that relationship with the living God. That's where my mind needs to be. That's where my focus needs to be. Matthew 24, 42 says this, Therefore, be alert, for you do not know which day the Lord is coming. Wouldn't that be wonderful today if the Lord came for you and me today? To look up and hear him calling and and just just, be taken away to be with him taken out of this world of of violence and sin and anger and murder and immorality to a place where there is no sin, there is no pain and no suffering. Again, it's impossible to to pray while you're sleeping. How we need to be alert, how we need to devote a a specific time aside to, to prayer. A time when we can persistently pray about those things, not only that concern us, but those things that concern him. Pray that his kingdom, as it is in heaven, will come to earth. Well, the element of prayer is, is, is an attitude, really, of thanksgiving, that when we come, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I can boldly come to this throne of grace. Thank you that you incline your ear to... To hear from us thanking him for our very life our children, our friends the house of over our heads opening our minds up to know him see believers should be thankful and grateful for salvation for the growth and maturity in our lives just as we want to see our kids grow and mature and healthy how important is it to spiritually grow As we go through this life, things are pulling against you and pulling against me. There are things that just crash down on our lives. And unless our faith is grounded and we're growing and maturing when things happen, we will struggle. We will be crushed. Again, the Bible says if anyone lack wisdom in the middle of a trial, a storm, let him ask and God will give liberally. him god wants to speak to you and guide you we should be grateful and thankful for the fellowship in christ and his church that's the body of christ that's the people those that he brings in your life those that challenge you in your walk encourage you in your walk those that we could put ourselves behind and under and learn from them those mature christians who have been walking with the lord that we learn from them Thankful for the opportunities to, to serve him and live for him, to, to make his name known, to, to minister to people. In the last few years, I've had an opportunity to, to go to life care. I felt the Lord just put in my heart and, and going there, and there's one particular person That I've gone to for a couple years. And and I thank God that I'm able to go and encourage her and just remind her of who she is in Christ. And that God's coming for her. And one day she's gonna close her eyes in this world and she's gonna open up her eyes into the presence of Jesus. When I began there, she didn't know she could be good enough to get to heaven. But yet I was able to open the word, and that's what you can too. And, and show them and instruct them and, and that this book was written that you might know you have eternal life and that eternal life is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thankful for those opportunities to serve. That's what the body of Christ does. It serves the Lord and serves one another and even serves this world, bringing them the word of God, ministering to them physically, mentally, emotionally, and most important spiritually when believers pray they can begin by being thankful for the following spiritual blessings and privileges let me show you in acts twenty-seven thirty-five. having said this he took the bread and gave thanks to god in the presence of all and broke it and began to eat jesus the one who spoke all things in the existence thank the father for the bread Jesus modeled, this is what we do, but he did to the people. And so important that we follow in that same pattern. It's in Romans six, verse seventeen, but thanks be to God. That though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching which you have now committed. See, it's God who works in the person, it's God who changes the person, and so God is the one that gives us this heart of obedience. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, notice what it says. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I are victorious in Christ Jesus because of the blood of the Lamb. The work that he has done for you and me. And all we do is... Believe. The work we're called to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. In Second Corinthians one twenty, For as many are the promises God in him, they are yes. And therefore also through him is amen and glory of God through us. It's in Romans 8.28 Most people know this verse, but they don't always understand it. Notice what it says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. When something happens in someone's life and they're in an automobile accident or or, or maybe they've lost their job, I've heard people say, oh, it must be God's perfect will. I'm going to tell you, it's not always God's perfect will. But what God says is, in these situations... I will cause things to come out of here for good. I will use it for the betterment of you, for, to draw closer to me or to find a better job. It's not his perfect will that there's death in this world. But we can have that assurance to be absent the body, is to be present with the Lord. Well, the second thing I want to call your attention to is in verse 3. What we see is that devotion and and that importance of prayer, praying at that same time for us, that God may open to us a door for the word. See, we're humbly partners with others for the sake of the the gospel, the gospel ministry. In this case, with Paul and the ministry that God had given him, that he would be faithful and finish the race well he, he needed people to pray with him to uphold him to give him the strength the the wisdom the boldness and it's so important we need that same thing in our lives now it was in spite of the imprisonment and the difficult circumstances paul asked the colossians to, to pray that he would have the opportunities to share the good news of jesus christ See, even in what was the darkest time that he was in prison, prison because of his faith in, in, in Jesus Christ, that he'd have an opportunity to share with the guards or maybe those other prisoners, that he could see people coming into the kingdom. See, this is what you, happens to you and me as we grow and mature, that we see Every circumstance we're going through is an opportunity to glorify God, to point people back to God because this is the way that you and I have been made to bring glory to God. Well, again, he's he's confident that God was directing his life in that sense. In the ministry, by opening and shutting doors of opportunity, there's not a question. But he also knows the importance and the power in prayer. The power in prayer. I remember the story of the Wesleys, and they were evangelists and leading people to the Lord. And then one day there was this struggle in their lives. There was this question that said, "Who will save me? I, I've saved others. I've let them Lord. but who will save me?" And at that time, his mother was praying fervently, hour after hour after hour. What a picture for a mother, for a father, for a grandfather, a grandmother, for those kids that are unsaved. Maybe those kids are teetering between evil and, and good. There's power in prayer. We need to understand that and and sit passionately and pray, not, not passively and and wait for a sign to take action and, and and start serving and praying no 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 we we need to pray we need to move by faith what he does one is us to pray pray that god would open those doors open for us and this is paul's request let me read from revelation chapter 3 verse 20 Notice what it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. See, we we hear this knocking at the door in this sense. It's the church again here, if you remember. A church was an unsaved church. He's standing, that is the Savior, Jesus Christ, standing on the outside, knocking. If anyone will open the door, I'll come in. I'll sup with them. This, this intimate relationship, he's calling them to it, but, but not everyone will. But see, it's the prayer that we need to be praying. God, move in our community. Move in our family. Move in the jails. Move in the hospitals. We need you, Lord. And those that pray fervently like that are the ones that move mountains. Notice again in 2 Thessalonians 3.1, Paul speaking, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also in you. Paul always wanted the word to move rapidly through the communities. This world is becoming darker and more evil, and the opportunities are going to stop very soon. They're getting harder and harder to reach people. Because the hearts are so hard. A visitor to Spurgeon's tabernacle in London was being shown around the building by the pastor, Charles Spurgeon. He says, I would like to see the the powerhouse of this ministry. And Spurgeon asked, as, as he showed the man into the lower auditorium, it's here that we get the power." From while I was preaching upstairs, hundreds of people in this room were praying. Is it any wonder that God bless Spurgeon's preaching of the word? How we need to pray before we come and after and even during the, that those that are unbelievers will hear and those who are believers that are, that are in rebellion will turn back to God, turn, turn from the idols, turn from this world, and turn back and serve the true and living God. so that we'd speak forth the mystery of Christ. See, Paul's not talking about something mysterious or some secret ritual, but rather as God's unfolding plan for the world, his plan of redemption through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the same message that people need to hear today. In fact, in Ephesians one nine, notice what it says, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he's purposed in him or in Ephesians 3 verses 3 and 4 that by a revelation there was made known to me a mystery as I wrote before in brief by referring to this when you read you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ see we see that mystery as Christ is now revealed it was revealed to Paul and now being revealed to us again it's not some secret shake or secret order the mystery is Christ that Christ would save the Gentiles that he would die for the world and we need to bring the good news they need to know the bad news so they can receive that good news it's so important again the text says For which I've also been in prison. He was in prison for sharing this good news in verse 4 that I may make it clear the way that I ought to speak. See, in Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon, these are known as the, the prison epistles because they're written during Paul's Roman imprisonment. Even in this time, in these wet, dark, cold, damp prisons. Paul was concerned about the glory of God. Why was he so concerned in these situations? Because he come to know him personally. And he couldn't let go. He, he's come to know him. At home, I have this little rectangular block. And it looks like gibberish. You look at it. There's On the black block, there's white letters. But if you look and you focus a certain way, It says, Jesus is clear as can be once found, never lost. See, some people can see about Jesus, know about him, but they've never seen him personally. We see him in this world. We see him in the life of evangelists. We see him in the life of a person that's praying and caring, a, a mother who nurtures her child and brings them to church or a grandmother. The evangelist within the congregation says they can't help but go and tell people because they love the Lord Jesus so much and they want to share that love with them. God uses their plots in this world to destroy the wicked, to to help God's cause. Pharaoh plotted to kill the Jewish babies, but God used that evil plot to put Moses in Pharaoh's place to train Moses. To give him the knowledge about the courts and dealing with Pharaoh. Or then there's Joseph. He was thrown into prison for purity and suffered in prison. But in prison, he came in contact with the prisoners who were officers of Pharaoh who could give Joseph much better knowledge about the workings of Pharaoh's courts. So when Joseph was elevated to the prime minister, he knew the ropes of the Egyptian government. See, that's what was happening to Paul. It was there he was evangelizing, but here he was learning how to deal with the people. Look with me in Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Now you who followed my teaching and conduct and purpose and faith and patience and love and perseverance and persecutions and suffering such as happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, persecutions i endured and out of them all the all of them the lord rescued me indeed all who desire to live godly in christ jesus will be persecuted you and i will go through difficult times in life when you choose to be steadfast and stand for jesus christ let me ask you the question today will you be steadfast will you stand for jesus christ Will you put him first in your life before all things? Will you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and know that he will add whatever it is that you need in your life? Will you believe and trust that no matter what's going on in your life, God will cause those things to work for good, for those who love the Lord and called according to his purpose? Well, look again with me in verse 5. We see a, the spirit-filled witness it's there it says conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the opportunity our lives are are to be purposeful and 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 through our conduct Christ is to to be seen and so important to understand in in this figurative thing when it talks about the walk it's indicating a single life our conduct in this life oriented orientating it again towards a particular goal, a goal that we're walking from one place to another and we walk in wisdom and, and everything that happens around us, we're evaluating these circumstances and learning to make godly decisions because the word of God's hidden in our hearts that we would not sin against him. See, believers are called to live in such a way to establish that credibility of the Christian faith that when people see us, it, it's a testimony. It's in Acts one eight. Again, they were to wait for the Holy Spirit would come upon them, if you remember. And they would be witnesses. It's not knocking on the door and going why they may do that, but their life would be so radically changed. Let me stop and ask you a question. Has your life radically changed? Oh, I'm sure it did the moment you were born again. But is it still radically changing each day? Are you more like Christ today than you were last year? God wants to radically, supernaturally change your life each day, each year, that you're continually a witness and testimony wherever you go. Well, again, 1 Timothy 3.7, notice what it says. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and a snare of the devil see again we're to have a good reputation with the outside we're we're to grow and mature it's important that we do that sadly many are not but we're to be making the most of an opportunity again 1 Corinthians 16 verses 8 through 9 notice what it says but I will Remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service is open to me, and there are many adversaries. The phrase "open open the door for the word" is a metaphor—a metaphor for the word, the the good news that you and I bring when we share with other people. It's just not an open door to share the gospel. It is much more in the sense of a receptiveness, a receptiveness. That is, to the good news. An open door, when Paul would pray for this open door, he's praying that the people would be receptive, they would receive it, that they would turn from their idols and turn to the true and living God and serve him. A teachable spirit is another way when we become a believer, that we want to hear the word of God. And when we come to church, we're to be ready to receive, ready to hear. In the Old Testament, when they would go to the priest, when they would go to the tabernacle, when they go to the feast, they were to bring olives. They were to bring fresh olives, crushed olives. And that's important. It it was the virgin olives, the best. They were to come ready to the tabernacle. And, And we know that the olive, the oil, when it's crushed, represents the Holy Spirit. We're to come ready with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit seeking to to hear and hang on each word and and say lord what what do you want me to do again in second corinthians two twelve, notice what it says now when i came to troas for the gospel of christ and when the door was opened for me in the lord looking for that open door that's so important that we're looking and we're anticipating, we're inspecting. Well, in Acts 16, 6, follow with me. And they passed through Pergeia in the Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man in Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And the moment he got there, there were believers. They had come to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to recognize that the time is short. Opportunity is knocking. And I encourage you, please answer it. Well, again, Ephesians 5.16, it says this, Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Let me read an illustration. A businessman on his way to prayer meeting saw a stranger looking down a on the church and invited him in to come inside. He says, all right, said the stranger. That was the beginning of the, the Christian life for him and his family. He afterward told the man who invited him, I've, I've lived in the city seven years before I met you. No one had ever asked me to go to church. I wasn't here three days before the grocer, the dairyman, the insurance man, the, the politician called upon me but you were the first one to invite me to church. It took seven years. Don't wait to pick and choose the souls that you want to see safe. But consider anybody that you meet is God's field, for it is the work for you and me. Living a godly life involves making the most of every opportunity moses prayed in psalm ninety twelve. he said so teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom how we need to pray how we need his wisdom look with me in verse six the spirit-filled witness notice what it says let your speech always be with grace as seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. This eagerness for the witness must not be excuse for brash arrogance or a boring complacency. No. In the ancient world, salt was used as a, a preservative for, for meat and helping retard this spoilage. To speak with grace means to say, what spiritual, wholesome, fitting, kind of, sensitive, purpose, gentle, truthful, loving, and thoughtful. The Christian speech, like their lives, must promote purity. Rather than fostering spiritual, ethical relation, little well, corruption, no no to promote purity. I love Ephesians four twenty nine. Let me read, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. But only such a word is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give you grace to those who hear. Again in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 3 and 4, But immorality, impurity and greed must not even be named among you as proper among the saints. There must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse gesturing, which are not fitting, but but rather give thanks. See, our speech, that is, for the new man, must be seasoned with salt. It must make the difference in people's lives. Promote, again, that, that, that purity, that heart for God. And salt sometimes though, stop and think, it, it stings if you rub it in a wound. Proverbs twenty seven six says this Faithful are the words of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Or in Matthew five, thirteen, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except for to be thrown out and trampled on underneath the foot of men. Or First Peter 3.15. But sanctify Christ as our Lord in our hearts, always being ready to make defense to everyone who asks, to give account for the hope that lies within. And notice what it says in, with gentleness and reverence. I'm going to add a word here, but I think it fits. Respect. We're not to argue over what we believe to be nasty or arrogant. Gentle, respectful, and loving. There's another thought about salt. It was added to sacrifices in the Old Testament. Perhaps Paul was suggesting that we should look upon our words as sacrifices, offered to God just as our words are praise and spiritual sacrifices see the speech of the Christian is vitally important when people hear you and I speaking and whether it be in conversations between each other or or maybe when we've been wronged in the community and how we act they learn they see they recognize things maybe they will be ashamed of at his coming I like Psalm 141 verse 3 Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lip. That should be a prayer for us, that Lord put a watchman in our our lips that would not say anything that will offend you, anything that will misrepresent you. See, the Christians walk and talk really need to be in harmony with each other. Nothing will silence the lips like a careless life. When character and conduct and conversation are are, are working together, it makes for a powerful witness. Well, let me finish with this illustration. Notice what it says, redeem the time, says Paul. Paul begins this way, redeem the time. Suppose that a wealthy man were to to give someone $1,400 a day to spend, and he had to spend it. The gift did not uh, allow him to save it, and still less to to hoard it. At the end of each day, what was not spent was lost. The same sum would arrive every day until the end of his life. Then accounting would be made of what the receipt had done with the sum. And there was $1,400 a day spent or squandered to be used buying things for oneself or helping others, or to be wasted on trifle things or invested in eternity. Every day God gives you and me 1,400 minutes to spend by ourselves in us alone. We have to spend it. We can't save it up for another day, another time, or, or tomorrow. We have none of yesterday's time left over. All of this precious minutes are ours. However, when life is over, there will be strict accounting, accounting for what we've done with that time. We, as Christians, will give accounting, the judgment seat of Christ. The unsaved will render their account at the white throne judgment. But accounting will be made and make the best possible use of your time, Paul says. Paul meant that might have wasted time mopping up over restrictions placed upon his liberty. Not him; he invested that time in writing the immortal books of the Bible, in praying for furtherance of the gospel, in talking to those who he came to, who were, he was sent to, about the things pertaining the kingdom of God, and mediating again upon the Scripture. Meditating upon the scriptures long since committed to memory and preparing himself for the new ministry in the journeys should be released to meet the Lord of glory should nero's order be executed? You and I have fourteen hundred minutes a day. if we were to stop and evaluate to what would our life look like, what would be credit to us eternal, what would be credit to? and burned up as what they call wood, hay, and stubble. It's a choice that you and I as a believer make. It's a choice we will be accountable for. Father, we thank you for this time. I pray for myself, my brothers and sisters, Lord, that we will learn to be responsible for what you have entrusted us with, not just the knowledge you've given us, the salvation, but how we will use this for your glory. Lord, I pray blessings upon these people. Lord, that they would learn to draw from you the wisdom, that they would be prayerfully seeking you and seeking to be right in the middle of your will. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your unfailing love to meet us each and every day. It's in your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.